Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, my friends, to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. We are going into what is week five of the 2019 college football season. It will be the Virginia Tech Hokies' fourth game of their 2019 campaign. I am Andrew Alex, a talking head at ESPN Radio here in Blacksburg. That's 93.1, 97.1, and live on the web at ESPNBlacksburg.com. Alongside me are two of my esteemed colleagues in this cutthroat sports writing industry. We have Mike McDaniel, who hails from Columbus, Ohio, not by choice. Mike, what hotel are you staying at today, buddy boy? Marriott, man. Marriott, for better or worse. For better or worse. And, uh, you know, at least by being in Columbus, you're located near a college football program that uh, tends to get it done week in and week out. Now, my other co-host here in the 757, as per usual, backed up by a Clinton Portis fathead, and I'm sure, like me as a Redskins fan, reminiscing against or about the glory days, if there ever were them in our lifetime, Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how you doing, buddy boy? Uh, I was born in 1994, uh, and basically since I was born, the Redskins have been just about a laughing stock every single year, uh, so... There are no glory days for me to relive, unfortunately, just the ones I see on NFL films. Uh, but it's okay. This yingling tastes pretty good, um, and I'm ready to talk some Hokies football and, and really what is a big week. Yeah, no, and uh, as a Redskins fan myself, tonight can't be any worse than last night, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally predictable, though. Anyone who didn't see that coming, you're you're just not in, you're just not clued in, man. That was the most predictable performance that I think I've ever seen out of a Redskins team. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I don't disagree. I could go into a whole tangent about that, but unfortunately the listeners of ESPN Blacksburg had to go through that for about 30 minutes unfettered, me just telling everyone to shut up, and I kept going talking about the institutional issues <laughs> on this team. So not a good week for my Redskins, but luckily it doesn't matter, at least not to all of you. But for the Virginia Tech Hokies, a bye week in week four, and ultimately some could say it was <laughs> the most promising week that the Virginia Tech football team experienced all season. You can't lose if you don't play. And many of their ACC rivals played, and we will start with what happened around the league. We talk about the transitive property of equality, the transitive property of football all the time, even though it usually doesn't tend to mean much, but so many people were saying, oh boy, 
Virginia Tech plays an unideal game at home against ODU. Virginia Tech, a 31 to 17 victory. And everyone says, well, here's what's going to be the real dagger. UVA will beat them by 50. That wasn't the case. That was not the case. ODU takes a 17 to nothing lead. Ultimately, UVA does come back in a very similar fashion that was reminiscent to the Virginia Tech-Furman game. UVA, number 21 in the country at the time, now number 18 in the country, pulls off a 28-17 victory. Boys, has your stock in UVA dropped at all because of their performance against ODU? No, they're exactly who I thought they were. They haven't been able to run the ball that well all year long, and we saw Old Dominion take advantage of that defensively early in the game. As the game went on, I think Virginia found a way to manufacture points. Obviously, they played much better defensively in the second half than they did in the first. Played a more complimentary football game in the second half, and I think that was clear. Talent won out in this game, um, and Virginia wins. The only thing I will say about Virginia heading into this weekend against Notre Dame and South Bend is they better be ready because I think that this has the potential to get ugly real quick with the playmakers that Notre Dame has. Virginia's a flawed football team, but they've been the most consistent team in the Coastal Division because they have a rather high floor um, they haven't been turning the ball over a ton. They've been good enough defensively against the teams they've played so far, and they really got to lock it in against Notre Dame to have any sort of shots win in South Bend. Yeah, Mike, and I agree with you uh, pretty much wholeheartedly there. I will. I must bring up a point that you made on Twitter over the weekend about SEC fans because they are insatiable. Is the same people that were saying Notre Dame's not a real program, Notre Dame's not relevant, Notre Dame's a joke. Look at Georgia. They're 14 and a half point favorites and suddenly Notre Dame keeps it close and all the SEC fans want to do is brag about how they beat such a legitimate program in Notre Dame. It's like, it's hard to even swallow those people. But Ricky, are, are you more willing to give me an anti-Notre, or not an anti-Notre Dame, an anti-UVA take? Because I'm sure uh, at least some of the listeners on this podcast, are that's what they're looking for. Well, I, my stock has definitely dropped in them, um, but it, it's I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But Bryce Perkins was overrated coming into the season. Uh, he's just not that great of a passer. He doesn't have a ton around him. The guy turns the ball over way too much, uh, and he's really only efficient when he's able to scramble and run with the football. Um, UVA, I mean, gave I don't know how many sacks Keon White had, but Old Dominion's Keon White as a converted tight end and he absolutely whipped UVA's offensive line, and that should be concerning for the Hoos, considering that they're going to be facing a lot better pass rushers for the rest of the season. So, no, I'm not particularly surprised that the UVA um, got a, a bit of a scare, but my stock is definitely trending down for them, and really for the entire ACC, as we'll probably talk about here in a minute, which had, unless you're the Pittsburgh Panthers, had an absolutely awful weekend. Well, let's touch on that then. The Pittsburgh Panthers, a team who... In the opening week of the season, UVA handled pretty easily a two-touchdown victory over Pitt in Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. Pitt then goes and plays Ohio. Not a convincing victory. I believe it was 20-10. to 10. Suddenly, their fortunes seem to start changing. They go on the road at Penn State in week three. Penn State squeaks out a 17-10 to 10 victory. And then the almighty national champions, UCF. Stop. 
Don't please, <laughs> please say you're being sarcastic. Please, there's sarcasm there. There's okay, sarcasm. okay. Thank you. All right, my heart's okay. We can clarify, continue. Clarify to everyone: this is the Power Conference podcast. <laughs> we believe in establishments. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, they play UCF. UCF, obviously, not the national championship team that they think they are. A very good football team, and Pitt beats them, thirty-five to thirty-four at home. Pittsburgh, a team that none of us were high on going into the season, suddenly looks after a close loss to a Penn State team and a victory over UCF to be much more formidable than we previously may have assumed. What do you guys think about Pitt now four weeks into the season? The defense is the best it's looked under Pat Narduzzi, which is saying something. He had very good defenses at Michigan State. The story on Pittsburgh since Narduzzi took over there a few years back was that you know, they hadn't been able to gain the consistency on defense that they had when he was a coordinator at Michigan State. Well, now the defense is playing a lot better. And I think more importantly for, you know, the from the standpoint of the entire ACC when looking across the landscape for the whole conference is the fact that all of a sudden Pittsburgh has found a passing game with Kenny Pickett. He's been very, very consistent throwing the football over the last three weeks. And look, if he's able to continue that and untap some uh, – some of that ceiling for the Pittsburgh offense that we didn't necessarily know existed. I think this is a team that can certainly compete for the Coastal Division title. There's so much uncertainty across the entire division right now, but the way Pittsburgh's playing on both sides of the football, especially the last couple of weeks, even in that loss to Penn State, they had questionable coaching decisions. We covered that. But look, Pittsburgh's a team that has played strong, complementary football on both sides. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, they're becoming more consistent on both sides of the football. And Pat Narduzzi has that defense playing well. Pitt is certainly trending upward, and it was really impressive they were able to pull off that victory against UCF on Saturday. Ricky, does Pitt have any chance to defend their Coastal Championship? Yeah, just just by default, given the fact that the rest of the, the division is, is kind of a hellhole at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure how good that Pitt defense is, Mike, given the fact they gave up 34 to UCF. Now, granted, UCF is one of the better offenses in the league, but still anytime you give up 30-plus, I'm not really that impressed. But look, Pitt is one of those teams that has the the talent to be able to win the division, but like so many other teams in the division, like a Miami or even a Virginia Tech, uh, they're just so inconsistent, and there's no baseline read on any of these teams right now. So I have no idea who's going to win this division through the first few weeks of the season, um, and I'm I'm really curious to see how it plays out because uh, I don't I could see kind of anything happening outside of maybe Georgia Tech turning around and winning the damn thing. I I think almost every team's got a shot, believe it or not. Yeah, and and unsurprising. Obviously, we spent years as I progress here talking about how the U is back, but the U has a problem, kind of almost identical to the problem that Virginia Tech has. That's starting multiple freshmen on the offensive line. So far, that has not paid dividends particularly. The U, they did win. They beat Antonio Brown's alma mater, the Central Michigan Chippewas. I guess he's not not his alma mater because he's back in school now, right? He's back in school. (laughs) But Miami, 17. Central Michigan, 12. Jaron Williams still not really turning the ball over. He had one touchdown, no interceptions, 250 yards on 17 for 24 on the day. Mike, Miami wins. Obviously, the big question going into the season for them was the quarterback battle, a three-way competition between Tate Martell, Jaron Williams, Nikosi Perry. If you're Miami, if you're Manny Diaz at 2-2, two and two, heading into the real bulk of in-conference in play, are you questioning 
that decision that you made going into the season? No, Jaron Williams has been pretty good. I think the one thing that's troubling about Miami is the fact that, you know, we did think that they were just a quarterback away. Well, it's pretty clear they're not just a quarterback away because Jaron Williams has been very efficient throwing the football. He hasn't turned it over. He's shown total command of the offense as a redshirt freshman. And the quarterback position is something Miami's been missing, even when they won 10 games two years ago um, and they were making noise as a playoff team. I, I didn't think that they were going to ever get there because they were so short-sighted at, at quarterback. They just, you know, Mark Rick would never pull the plug on the Malik Rozier experiment, but um, they were always a quarterback away. And you saw the the turnover luck that they had two years ago defensively kind of come back to bite them last year. They didn't turn teams over nearly as much and they lost uh, a handful of close games last year and you're seeing the same thing this year Miami we thought was a quarterback away but with as well as Jaron Williams is playing the problems extend beyond that the defense has been pretty good but the running game has been pretty inconsistent the offensive line like you mentioned Andrew has not been very good and I think that's a big sticking point for Miami right now until they get that offensive line figured out this is an offense that is really going to continue to struggle to score points even with a really top-notch defense as far as the rest of the ACC is concerned yeah, no, and it's very confusing almost, right, from the outside looking in because we saw the performance that they put on against Florida, and, you know, maybe expectations have been tempered for Florida since then, but it seemed clear, at least at the time, that that would be one of the more talented teams, if not the most talented team they would face all season. But to only get 17 points on the board against the Central Michigan team, you have to raise questions, but... It seems very Virginia Tech-esque, Ricky. 51 yards on the ground for Miami, a whopping 1.5 yards per carry. Do you still think that this team is a legitimate contender to win the Coastal? Yeah, again, by default. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably the most talented team in the division. Uh, they're just not playing like it. I mean, all it takes is for them to get on, on a roll, and next thing you know, they're going to be starting to blowing teams out in the division. The, the best thing about this game was that even though he, my boy didn't catch two touchdown passes like I predicted on the pod, Khalil Pimpleton led the game in receiving yards with 73 and had 11 catches. So shout out to Pimp. Hope he's doing well. Uh, got to interview him a couple times. And, um, yeah, I mean, 11 catches, 73 yards against the Miami secondary. That's pretty good. I think uh, I think Tech fans would take that. Yeah, no, it's certainly not bad news. And like I said, it you know, we're not the only ones with – looming questions around how is this ship going to stay afloat for the next, you know, seven to 10 weeks of the season, whatever it may be. A team that we were all hot on, however, Mac Brown and the Carolina Tar Heels, it seemed after a win over South Carolina, who, by the way, seems to really be reeling, a win over Miami, who now we have learned is imperfect at best. They lose to Wake who Mike said is the way, the truth, and the life. So we were able to just look past that. They host Appalachian State, the pride of the Sun Belt Conference. And Mike, or one of you said last week that this would be one of the more entertaining games of the week. Oh, Appalachian State did more they more than cover. They win by three on the road in Chapel Hill. Mike, how was Appalachian State able to knock off this North Carolina team? Yeah, I picked North Carolina to win on this podcast. And on my ACC podcast, the very next day, I had changed my mind and I picked App State. So I was a little bit inconsistent there. But I did mention that this would be one of the tighter games of the weekend. It was App State is a junior and senior laden 
program. They are very uh, they ha- they have a team full of veterans. Eli Drinkwitz, a very good offensive coordinator, obviously comes over from NC State to take over the head coaching job at App State when Scott Satterfield left. And they've been playing some really good football. I think this is a referendum on North Carolina. I think we're learning a little bit more about them. Maybe it was more about the teams that they were playing against rather than the team that they actually are at this point to date four weeks into the year. South Carolina turns out they're not very good. Miami turns out they're not very good. They barely beat Central Michigan like we just mentioned. They obviously lost to North Carolina a couple weeks ago. Um, So North Carolina gets those two wins early on. Uh, but then they've struggled. You know, they lose to a Wake team that is playing really good football right now. They lose to App State. And to be honest, I mean, this seems kind of strange to say, just given what these teams look like on paper prior to the year. But in my opinion, North Carolina has beaten the teams that they should, and they've lost to the teams that they, you know, really should have lost to. And I, I know that's a crazy thing to say. It's it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing to say, but South Carolina has not been very good. Miami has not been very good. Wake's undefeated, and App State's been really good. So, I think this is kind of through four weeks the way that all of these teams have looked. If you look at it in totality, just stacking up the results and how these teams have looked holistically over the first month of the year, I think we can make that statement now and have it not be too far off the rails. No, I, I completely agree, Mike. And by the way, I will basically go along with you. I picked uh, North Carolina to cover the spread on this podcast. Get the upperclassmen on the roster, and it makes you think about the importance of experience, especially when the going gets tough, especially when the going gets tough, having that experience in there is so important. I ultimately changed my pick on the radio show to be Appalachian State. Yeah, for me, it's a bit of a surprise, but for a young team, it it seemed like a recipe for disaster. North Carolina had more yards. They had almost double the amount of first downs that App State had, but App State wins the turnover battle. The time of possession stays about the same. App State takes the lead, and a veteran team can hold on there, and that's exactly what App State did. Ricky, obviously we were a little bit high on North Carolina. Have you tempered your expectations almost back to where they were prior to the season for you? Yeah, I mean, I think we we saw what we kind of expected to see at the start of the season. North Carolina is a team that has some talent, uh, but Mac Brown's really taken on a full rebuild there. Uh, and, and it was kind of silly, I think, for us, and, and maybe myself is included in this, to expect Carolina to, to come out and start off 4-0 in the conference or something along those lines. But again, given how bad this division has been for the first few weeks of the season, nothing surprises me anymore. Um, but yeah, Carolina clearly has a way to go. Sam Howell shows a lot of flashes, but you know shows a lot of a lot of problems that he needs to get uh, figured out. Mac Brown definitely has uh, his his hands full over there in Chapel Hill. And uh, how embarrassing is it uh, for UNC fans who were so excited uh, after beating South Carolina Miami that they've now lost a Wake and App State, um, not looking like the pride of the of the Tar Heel State for sure. Yeah, no, and it seems about right. But this college football season has been like that. It's just been a total mixed bag. Uh, So we've basically gone through our side of the conference. We'll touch quickly on the other games that went around. We will try to spend as limited time as possible on Wake Forest beating Elon 49-7. Jamie Newman, 351 yards and five touchdowns. Mike, do you believe that Jamie Newman is the second best quarterback in the conference? Uh, I do. Yeah. And statistically, he's actually been the best quarterback in the conference this year. Now, I understand that Trevor Lawrence, if he's been playing for full games, he'd be putting up numbers that, you know, obviously would 
uh, put Jamie Newman second in that category. But Jamie Newman has completed over 70% of his passes, 12 touchdowns to two picks. He's played very well. Statistically, he's the best quarterback in the conference, but overall, he's he's second to Trevor Lawrence. And that cha- that's changed for me. I thought, you know, coming into the year, it was going to be Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Perkins. And to be honest with you, I thought Ryan Willis was the third best quarterback in the conference coming into the year. I probably should have given Jamie Newman a little bit more respect. Um, it, given the small sample size we saw out of Newman at Wake Forest last year, but he's continued that streak. He's been very good, and he's been the second best quarterback in the conference this year for sure. Ricky, we talk about Trevor Lawrence there. Trevor Lawrence uh, against Charlotte, obviously, he doesn't have to play that much. Complete 77.8% of his passes, two touchdowns, no picks, seven for nine on the day, 94 yards. His overall stats on the season, he's thrown for 925 yards, seven touchdowns, five picks, a QBR of 81.7, which is good for 11th in the nation at this time. All of the talk right now is about guys like Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin has showed out. From where we're standing right now, Trevor Lawrence, who was the front runner for the Heisman Trophy going into the season, not so much in the conversation anymore. Do you think he's been eliminated, especially given the perceived weakness and, I mean, perceived in a reasonable sense of the remainder of Clemson's schedule? Do you think he's out of the Heisman Trophy conversation at this point? No, if he turns it on in the last eight weeks or so, he'll be right back in the thick of it anytime. You're a quarterback on either the first or second best team in the country. All eyes are going to be upon you. And all it takes is six to eight weeks of really hot football in order to be put into that conversation. So I don't think he's by any means out of it, but he certainly hasn't looked like the quarterback we saw last season, uh, despite having a guy like T. Higgins, who's an absolute stud at receiver. uh, They're helping him uh, to catch passes. So I'm kind of surprised that Lawrence hasn't looked all that great. He's in a bit of a sophomore slump now, but I think in a couple of weeks he'll start to turn it on and, and, and the Clemson machine will start working again. We turn Welcome College, who obviously beat Tech in week one. They lose to Kansas in incredibly embarrassing fashion. They right the ship, in a sense, defeat Rutgers, the other worst program in all of Power 5 conference football. They beat them at Rutgers 30-16. to 16. Not the most convincing win. A.J. Dillon put up A.J. Dillon-esque numbers. The rest of the schedule, not incredibly daunting. They still have to play Wake. They still have to play Clemson, Syracuse, Florida State, uh, Notre Dame, Pitt, it's actually not the easiest schedule in the ACC as it goes. Do you think Steve Adasio can get to that seven-win mark that we're so accustomed to him getting? I mean, the ACC, like we mentioned time and time again, it's a total toss-up this year in regards to what you're going to get out of a team week to week. Boston College's defense is not very good, and I think that's going to be problematic because the offense has been inconsistent. Uh, that was the one thing going into the year. Like We're so used to watching Boston College's defense under Steve Adazio carry them, but they lost so much talent on that side of the ball. We kind of figured that wasn't going to be the case heading into this year. And the offense just really hasn't been all that consistent. They've run the ball okay in fits and starts. A.J. Dillon had a pretty nice game uh, this past Saturday. It took him a ton of carries to get there, but he did have 150 yards rushing, handful of touchdowns. So that was helpful for Boston College against Rutgers. But we're just not seeing the consistency offensively out of Boston College this year to supplement a defense that just, you know, quite frankly, is taking a step back and is in a little bit of a rebuild. It's going to be tough for Steve Adazio to get to seven wins. I think he's a guy who's squarely on the hot seat here. As we Ricky, the speaking of the, of the hot seat, obviously Willie Taggart at Florida State is on the hottest seat possibly in the country. His Seminoles, after dropping close once to Boise State, which a game which they blew, Virginia, a game which they essentially blew, they nearly lost to UL Monroe. 
They take on Louisville in the game that I dubbed the fall from Grace Bowl, and Florida State comes out victorious. Cam Akers, 112 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. His stats kind of speak for themselves. He seems like one of the few players on that team that is putting up the kind of numbers that you would expect out of a guy from a at least a once blue blood program like Florida State. Is there any chance that this uh, Florida State program can write the ship this year and that we'll see Willie Taggart in Tallahassee come 2020? There's a chance that he's back in 2020, but there's zero chance that this team writes the ship this year. That uh, They just have too many problems really up and down the roster. There's a ton of talent on defense that isn't playing together. <laughs> Redskins. Um, you have a quarterback who's just kind of all over the place. Uh, your star player, Cam Akers, cannot do it by himself. Uh, the, Florida State just has some serious problems. And uh, e- even though that they're in kind of that, that third tier of the ACC where it's just a bunch of teams jumbled together that have some good things and some bad things, um, I, I don't think they're going to make it out of that tier and, and come out to a finish where they can maybe finish second in the, in the, uh, in the Atlantic. I think Wake Forest is going to have that locked up here in a few weeks. Uh, so yeah, Florida State, they're just not there. Um, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know if it's a complete culture change and getting Taggart out of there. Uh, all I know is is that they've got some serious problems, and uh, I was kind of surprised that, that that Satterfield didn't pull off that upset. I thought Florida State was going to lose that game. At least I think that's what I picked. Um, I think that's what I picked in the pod, but uh, Florida State just not very good. Yeah, and the schedule, unideal for Florida State coming up. They had to play Clemson at Clemson. They had to play at Wake. They play Miami. They close the season at Florida. It is going to be a slim road, narrow path to that six-win margin to get them a bowl game. And that is not the expectation, obviously, at Florida State. They expect more than six wins there. I might be in the I might be in the minority real quick. I just want to jump in here. Um, like Florida State, if they put it all together for four quarters, it's like a big if, obviously, but they've looked good. In, in many portions of these games they've played. Now, if they can put it all together, we're talking about Florida State making a bowl game relatively easily. I mean, you look at the you look at the schedule coming up. Like, they got NC State this weekend. NC State barely beat Ball State. I don't know what NC State is, admittedly. So this game could go a million different ways on Saturday. After that, they have Clemson, so that's obviously a loss in Death Valley. Um, you're battling a Wake Forest team in a handful of weeks here. And Wake Forest, while they've been very good this year and they're well-coached, there is a talent gap in that game. Florida State's talent far exceeds that of Wake Forest. Does that mean that Florida State puts it together? What was Florida State no. been doing for the past three um, years? Syracuse, down to their competition, right? They've been playing down to their competition, and they got Syracuse. I mean, they got Syracuse at home in, in late October, and Syracuse's defense has been really bad, and their offense hasn't been all that great. Does anybody know what's going to happen in a rivalry game at home against Miami? I certainly don't. Miami just scored 17 points against Central Michigan. On the road to Boston College is a winnable game for Florida State. They play Alabama State, which we I would say is the only surefire win remaining on the schedule. And then Florida at the end of the year is going to be tough. Like I could just as easily see Florida State winning eight games as I could like winning five. And that's just the way the ACC is this year. But Florida State's got talent. If they figure it out and put it all together for four quarters, maybe they're cooking with a little bit of gas. But it hasn't been awe-inspiring through the first month of the year, and Willie Taggart hasn't necessarily inspired a whole lot of confidence in his tenure there thus far. So I'm with you guys. I just think that there's upside with Florida State just because of the talent on the roster. Real quick, to be clear, Florida State has done nothing to show that they're going to do that. Absolutely nothing. I want to push through this, but I do. I will say, A, 
how many teams in the ACC not named Clemson have put together four full quarters of football at this point in the season? That's the reality right now. Two, just on the Florida State topic, what's the – we talk about this with Fuente. Obviously, Virginia Tech is a different financial situation than Florida State. A bigger donor base, bigger football school, at least historically speaking. What's Willie Taggart going to do to keep his job? Just hot take. I mean, I think if he wins seven seven games, he probably keeps his job. I think if they miss a bowl game again, that's probably the line, right? I mean, even if he's at six, it's going to be a little bit dicey depending on how the fan base feels about the games they've won slash lost. Um, I just think that's where they're at right now. Yeah, um, I think if he misses a bowl game, he's gone. Uh, he's got a pretty steep buyout of, I think, about $20 million. Uh, which is just absolutely just staggering. But yeah. uh, I, I think, yeah, if he makes a bowl game, he probably sticks around. If he misses a bowl game, they're probably throwing him out uh, with pitchforks not far behind him. Uh, all right. Uh, I don't want to touch on this one for long because I think this is one of the least entertaining teams in the ACC. Who knows? Maybe I'll be proved wrong. NC State beats Ball State by 11 points. NC Yawn. State, a good team. Yeah, no, no idea what NC State is. Um, we'll find out more about them as the season goes along. Literally don't have a clue. They looked really good for two weeks against bad competition. They lay an egg against West Virginia, and they don't look great in the rebound game against Ball State. There's a pretty good chance NC State really isn't all that good, but we'll find out. Any thoughts on weeks. NC State, Ricky? Yawn. I will say <laughs> we'll, probably, we'll probably learn something about these two teams that we just talked about. Uh, Florida State and NC State. Uh, they'll play each other in Tallahassee, 7.30 on Saturday on the ACC Network. So if you have Comcast, well, God, you're shit out of luck. You can't watch. Um, <laughs> oh, man. If you have Comcast, not paying me to say that, I promise. Last one or second to last one because I have a little fun one in here for us. Syracuse beats Western Michigan 52-33. to 33. Uh, The defense lets up 33 points to Western Michigan. Obviously, expectations going into the season were high for Syracuse. Any confidence gained by this almost three-score win? I, nope. I, I wasn't really buying the Syracuse hype coming into the season, and they've done very little so far this year to show that any of that hype was real, uh, which is disappointing because I love me some Dino Papers. Okay, and now here is the fun extra one that I will throw in there. An out-of-conference matchup. Well, it's an in-conference matchup between the two teams, the Maryland Terrapins and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Josh Jackson, who has filled all of our Twitter mentions over the past few weeks with an opportunity in, I guess, what will be probably one of the better attended Maryland football games over the past decade or so, have an opportunity to beat a Penn State team that, lest we forget, narrowly defeated Pitt two weeks ago. Jackson has been an absolute mixed bag. Uh, they obviously blew out Howard 70 to nothing. That doesn't show much. He plays very well with 296 yards in the air, three touchdowns and an interception against Syracuse and, and at the time ranked number 21 Syracuse. And then against Temple, he flounders 15 for 38, 130 or 183 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception. He took four sacks in that game, so you can't put it all on him. You think Joshy Jacks got it? to pull up a big up, upset at home against this Penn State team? 
I don't. Um, I think he'll play well. I just I like Penn State's team more than than Maryland's. I think Maryland is a bit overrated because they blew out two bad teams. Um, Syracuse turns out to not be quite as good as a lot of people thought they were. Um, I, I just I like Josh Jackson a lot. I think he will play well against Penn State. I just like Penn State's Penn State's team more Ricky, on both sides of the Josh football. Jackson will not play well, and Maryland will get blasted. I'm kind of a Josh Jackson truther myself, but I just. I just don't see it happening. He's not that kind of superior quarterback. Josh Jackson truther. <laughs> I, I need I need some context on this. Hold on. I'm so I'm not like a true Josh Jackson truther, right? I'm not one of the guys who's going to sit there on Twitter and say, "Oh, like Josh Jackson, if we had him, we'd be the best team in the coastal." Because, like, statistically speaking, who the hell is no saying proof- that? <laughs> Look at your Twitter feed. Look at your Twitter I, feed. I haven't seen it. I swear to God, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen the people saying that Josh Jackson would. All the people calling for Ryan's execution. I mean, I, I have <laughs> I have seen some people say Josh Jackson's better than Ryan Willis, and to which I answer that question. I don't really know because Josh Jackson wasn't very good here either. But anyone who thinks Virginia Tech would be a nine to ten win team with Josh Jackson needs to seriously reevaluate the way that they observe football and, and understand that Josh Jackson, even though he might have a better offensive mind than Mike Loxley over at Maryland, was not very good in Blacksburg. And given the offense that Virginia Tech has, they need a quarterback to be very good right now. So no, Josh Jackson would not make this team any better in any significant way. No, no, I, I don't truly believe that. I will say, though, I would have enjoyed a Josh Jackson-Ryan Willis camp battle. Then at least when Ryan's throwing interceptions, you'd have a extremely, not extremely, but at least somewhat proven to be competent quarterback on the bench. How about a weird bowl matchup with Maryland and Virginia Tech? They need to, I mean, I know that game schedule. This for the is future, the matchup think, that, that, that Tech fans really want. Uh, well, I mean, the trajectories don't make that terribly unlikely let's just go with that yeah it's but possible it's possible. speaking of virginia tech they're playing again this week on a friday night on espn against a great football program the duke blue devils some people don't believe that little do they know since 2012 virginia tech only has two more wins than duke overall granted they've dominated the series at least in the fuente era but Duke comes in with a record of two and one. Their opening game at a neutral site, by the way, it was a tough draw. They played the University of Alabama. They lost 42 to three. They played North Carolina A&T, 45-13 victory. They went on the road to Middle Tennessee State University and they won handily there, 41 to 18. Duke, they lost a lot of their talent on the offensive side of the ball. Most notably, the guy who has more rushing touchdowns in his career already in the NFL than Eli Manning did. That's Daniel Jones. Tech beat Daniel Jones last year, and a couple of his receivers on the outside that either got drafted or made some noise as undrafted free agents in the NFL. Quinton Harris is the new man behind center for Duke. Has played generally well so far. Keep in mind, a large sample size of that is against North Carolina A&T and MTSU. Ricky, from the most pessimistic perspective that you can come up with, on the offensive side of the ball for Duke, what scares you the most? 
Uh, I guess that Quentin Harris can can kind of torch Virginia Tech with his legs. Uh, the, the the fact of the matter is, is that when I was doing some research into Duke, I didn't find much that really scared me. I mean, Duke's not even in the top sixty on offense or defense. Uh, they got absolutely run over by Bama in the opener. They've put together two, I guess, semi-decent performances against two bad teams. Um, they don't scare me at running back. They actually have a guy named Mateo Durant, who Virginia Tech recruited and recruited heavily, yet uh, in the end passed on, and Mateo ended up going to Duke. Um, I, I, nothing about this Duke team really worries me. I guess Victor DiMucchi, another guy that Virginia Tech tried to recruit, ultimately he went with the Blue Devils. He's pretty good on the defensive uh, defensive side. I think he could kind of give Virginia Tech's offensive line some worries. But the, the, the only thing with Duke is Duke doesn't beat themselves. David Cutcliffe has shown year after year that he can take kind of middling-level talent, maybe even inferior talent in some years, and he turns them into productive football teams, and he turns them into teams that are going to play competent football. They're not going to commit a ton of penalties. They generally take care of the football. They, they don't beat themselves. They don't shoot themselves in the foot, and that's exactly the opposite of what we've seen Virginia Tech do so far this year. So Tech doesn't face an overwhelming opponent in this game, but they do face an opponent that isn't going to give them a ton of chances to, to kind of take advantage of them. They're going to have to beat Duke fair and square in this game. Obviously, that's a bit of a cliche, and of course they have to beat them fair and square. Duh. But the, the thing is, they're not going to get many breaks from this Duke team. Virginia Tech's going to have to play four quarters of serious football to beat a team like this. Yeah, Ricky hit the nail on the head with that. Um, I don't have a ton to add from what he just said, but I will say this. As far as you know, Duke not overwhelming Virginia Tech, I, I think that's a fair statement. I, I don't see anything that jumps off the page at me either. Um, but the one thing that Ricky mentioned that I'll definitely echo is the fact that Virginia Tech will not have a lot of chances in this football game. So if they make mistakes, they're going to have to atone for them in a, in a different way, right? They're going to have to turn Duke over. They're going to have to have a big play on special teams. If Ryan Willis turns the ball over two or three times, if Virginia Tech fumbles, say they have a Trey Turner fumble like they did against Furman or a Hezekiah Grimsley fumble on a punt like they did against BC in the opener, like turnovers will sink the Hokies in this football game. Duke is too well coached. They don't beat themselves. They don't commit a ton of penalties. They're just an extremely well coached football team with what they have. With that being said, Duke ranks 107th nationally in passing efficiency defense. So Virginia Tech does have an opportunity with the skill players they have on the outside, with Ryan Willis, if he is playing well and at his best, they do have an advantage on the outside, I believe, in this football game at the receiver position where, you know, they'll be able to take advantage of some one-on-one -on -one opportunities. And I think if Ryan Willis has a, has a strong game here uh, through the air, I think Virginia Tech is going to put themselves in excellent position to win the football game on Friday night. So I think that's the one area where Virginia Tech could have a distinct advantage is in that passing game. Virginia Tech's a top 65 passing offense, which I get is mediocre. It's not fantastic, but you take away some of the turnovers they've had on the offensive side of the football, especially in that opener against Boston College. This is easily a top 50 passing offense nationally. And I think that, that you know, Virginia Tech will have an opportunity in this football game to make some plays through the air. And I think they're going to have to make those plays and limit the mistakes in order to get themselves and, a great And, and I agree with the sentiment of both of you guys. And I'll echo what I said just a little bit earlier, which is that, Duke is a team that, on the defensive side of the ball, I think, especially up front, poses a little bit of a challenge for Tech because Tech is just so young on that offensive line. Uh, I talked to Chris Coleman, Tech sideline today on our radio show. He said on Duke's too deep, 
the youngest player that they have is a redshirt sophomore, if I remember correctly, either a sophomore or a redshirt sophomore. It's kind of the opposite of Tech's situation on the offensive line, so you worry about that pressure. Duke nine sacks on the year. It's hard to put any merit to that, right, because two of the three opponents that they've played have been unimpressive. But I I think the offensive line is going to have to step up. Obviously, it's going to be up to Ryan because – we talked about how Tech's going to have advantage athletically on the outside, Tech's wide receivers versus Duke's corners. Well, they had that against Boston College, and mistakes seem to have turned that game around in a way that Kansas was obviously able to take advantage of that opportunity. Do you know why? Because they didn't turn the ball over. So I think the turnover battle is going to be big. We talk about how David Cutcliffe teams don't beat themselves. Well, Tech is nearly beat themselves against Furman with pre-snap penalties on the offensive line last week. That's got to go away. Basically, in the trenches and simply being out-disciplined are what strikes the most fear in me. Let's talk about that often. Zachariah Hoyt, they're confident, will come back. TJ Jackson, they have a little bit of confidence in his return as well. You look at a Tech team who, with the redshirt freshman Tenuta, Doug Nestor, the true freshman, and Brian Hudson, the true freshman, have been playing three players with essentially, or basically literally, no in-game experience next to each other on the offensive line. Last week, we saw how that posed a lot of problems. I'm sure Ryan Willis would echo that sentiment to us. Imagine that Hoyt is back. Imagine that Jackson is back. Ricky, how would you construct that offensive line to give them the best chance against a Duke team with maybe less talent, maybe less stars on that recruiting board, but simply a lot more in-game experience than Virginia Tech offers? Yeah, I mean, Christian Darisol is going to stay at left tackle, clearly. Um, he's their best option there. Uh, Hoyt would probably go ahead and play at center. Uh, and then after that, it's kind of a, a, a up for grabs. I don't really know how you're going to solve the thing at right tackle. I would lean towards giving Silas Danzi another op or another chance there. Uh, he showed last year what he can do. He's obviously been off to a slow start uh, this season, but I, I would go ahead and stick with Silas Danzi there. The guard spots are the ones that kind of just leave you. Ah, I got nothing. I mean, I don't really know. TJ Jackson doesn't uh, really get me going. I'm not really sure what he's going to be able to do. I know that they're freshmen. I know that they're young, but I'd almost rather go with the young guys there and get a guy like Doug Nestor even more experienced and just let him have it. I mean, Doug Nestor was one of the top offensive linemen in the country for a reason, um, and then you might just have to let him learn on the fly. It's not an ideal option, but I don't really know where you're going to find a better option on the roster. So Virginia Tech definitely has um, options here, but none of them really make you excited. So Vance Weiss, I'm not really sure I envy him, but ultimately it's up to him. This is a group that he recruited, and he's got to get these guys ready to go uh, no matter how young they are. Mike, any thoughts on uh, the offensive line? Any big moves that you would make? I mean, the one thing I'll add to that is I think if it ends up being a uh, Tenuta, Nestor, and Hudson, and we got three starters on the offensive line that are freshmen or redshirt freshmen, I'm not feeling that great about this matchup up front for Virginia Tech. I think this is the best pass rush that they've faced. 
which, you know, if it ends up being something like two or three freshmen on the offensive line, I think it'll be problematic. Um, Virginia Tech's going to have to find a way to run the football. I'd, I've been saying that for like 10 years, it feels like, but they really need to figure that out, um, especially against a Duke team that's very disciplined. Um, you know, we, we talk about where Virginia Tech has the advantage through the air, and I think the only way to ensure that Ryan Willis is kept upright the entire game is to get something, anything, out of the running game. Um, show more like you did in the second half against Furman. Show some more of that in the first half against Duke. Take a little bit of pressure off Willis. I guarantee you he'll play better if he's not having to put the ball in the air 45 or 50 times. I think this will look a little bit different offensively for Virginia Tech. I just... The offensive line is where the real issues lie with this offense. I think until they find some consistency up front and they get guys healthy and, you know, guys with reps together, uh, until they have that on a more consistent basis, this ceiling for the offense is very, very limited because the offensive line, I think, is, you know, everybody wants to point to Ryan Willis and he's been disappointing for sure, but this offensive line has been worse. And that's the main problem with this with this whole thing right now is it starts up front. We haven't run the ball well and Willis hasn't played to his to his strengths and the offense as a result has underwhelmed. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, it, it, it's going to sound like a broken record, man, but it's hard to expect a lot out of the group that is starting so many freshmen on the offensive line. It simply takes time. It takes years in the weight room to develop those guys, which is why to this point, it, it was so disappointing that Dancy was part of the problem. Obviously, they weren't able to get Brock Hoffman in there and he would have been a great option at center and it would have provided them with a little flexibility on the interior. I've always, especially with the reports that I heard out of camp, because obviously no one really gets to get that extended of a look at how the team is practicing, just the way that the media availability has been scheduled. The good reports have been on Tenuta going into the season. I really wanted to see Dancy work at guard, Tenuta at the tackle position, We'll give the benefit of the doubt to the coaching staff with how they want to construct it. But from what I saw out of Dancy, you know, if he is starting at right tackle, it's kind of got to be the rubber meets the road moment. And for a lot of people on this team, it's the rubber meeting the road, the inevitable clash of the two. But I, I want to play a little game here uh, just with some of the controversy that's been going on with this team. And, what will it's we'll just do what will happen and what should happen. Let's say that it's the second quarter. Tech is losing 14 to 3. And Ryan Willis has thrown two interceptions. What will happen and what should happen? Mike, you go first. What should happen is you make a change at quarterback because at that point the season's over. Like you're not going to beat Duke if you dig yourself into a 14 to three hole. Like you can't. It, like we mentioned off the top, like if Willis commits a couple turnovers, if Virginia Tech's offense commits a couple turnovers, they're going to have a hard time coming back in this football game. Um, what should happen is you make a change because you look to next year. What will happen is that he'll probably stay in the game. Uh, I, I would agree on the what should happen. I mean, I, I think you, I would put in head and hooker and, and see what he can give you. Uh, and I actually think that Fuente would make a change in that point. I think Fuente understands that uh, things are starting to get a, tit, a tad dire in, in terms of this team's prospects. Uh, the, the season's not looking great. Um, I think he understands that Ryan Willis is on a short leash, even though Ryan Willis says that 
he graded out his best game in the in the game against Furman, which I just don't buy it. Um, so I actually think Fuente would make a move in that situation. So I think the same thing, both should and would happen. I think he would go to a, a Hendon Hooker, um, and hopefully he would tail the offense around him and give Hendon Hooker a chance to be successful and not ask Hendon to do a lot of the similar things that he's asking Ryan Willis to do. Yeah, circumstantially, I think that uh, I don't necessarily believe that Ryan Willis will throw two picks, then we'll go down 14 to three. I do believe that if it does happen, it's probably going to have a lot more to do with Tech's offensive line versus Duke's defensive line. But at that point, I think Hendon Hooker, at least, you got to give him a shot. You got to provide your team with some flexibility with a quarterback that, and Hendon Hooker, who on paper, knowing what we know about him, and we don't know much, seems the offense more sensibly, especially with a bad offensive line, that mobility would be key. Uh, so what would happen? I think, yeah, I think he'd get benched. What should happen? I think he should get benched, but I will give Ryan Willis credit. I think Ryan Willis gets a lot of somewhat undeserved hate. He's not the quarterback to be playing behind a lot of freshmen. We know his strengths is to throw the ball out the stadium and, a massive pass rush that gives you two top, two seconds worth of time, like we saw bringing back to the Redskins with Case Keenum last night, it, it is not a recipe for success. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But we'll, I'm going to keep going with worst possible case scenarios here. Tech loses the game in any way. Doesn't matter. Imagine however you want. Brad Cornelison's job. What would happen? What should happen? Ricky, you can go first this time. Well, I think a lot of it would depend on how they lose this game. If Tech goes out there and scores 10-ish points uh, and Tech loses, um, I think you would have to seriously consider making a change at, at the offensive coordinator position. If Tech goes out there and scores 38 and loses, obviously you wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I don't think Brad Cornelson is going anywhere this year, uh, barring some some serious, just absolute monstrosity of, of a performance. Uh, I think Brad Cornelson is going to keep his job. Uh, Justin Fuente likes Brad. He said before that he can't imagine anyone else coaching quarterbacks other than Brad. Uh, so I have a feeling that Cornelson's going to be there at least to the end of the season and probably into next season. Um, but if we see another just really kind of bland, crappy offensive performance where Ryan Willis never gets into a rhythm, um, I, I, I seriously think you would have to, to wonder – if Brad Cornelson is the guy you want calling plays and the guy leading your offense. Yeah, I'm uh, – see, I'm of the opinion that any time you have to make a coaching change in season, you're you're doomed on a number of levels. Like Virginia Tech's offense hasn't been very good. That's clear. I don't think they make a change in season, so I don't really care how it looks on Saturday. I, I don't think Cornelson is going to lose his job in, in season if he loses it at all. I tend to agree with Ricky. I think Cornelson's going to be – around as long as Justin Fuente is. I mean, in my opinion, and, and we can look at this a couple ways, and I'll just lay this out for you guys real quick. Number one, I don't think they have a quarterback that fits what they want to do offensively right now. But with that being said, I think Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente need to figure out how to make their scheme work with the players that they have. And there's really no excuse at this point. They've recruited all these guys. So at the end of the day, it is all, it is all on the coaching staff to try to find a way to make this work. You recruited these players. You brought Ryan Willis in as a grad transfer. Figure it out. 
right? And fit your scheme to the players that you have, not the other way around, because I think that's how you're going to be successful, especially and in the, the other ACC. The other part that, that we should that we should talk about here is is that Hendon Hooker's in his third year in the program. And, and you're telling me that he's not ready to, to fit this offense? Obviously, some of that falls on the player, but some of that falls on the guys that are coaching him. And for all the que- the credit that Justin Fuente has gotten for being this quarterback whisperer and the fact that he got Andy Dalton to be a, a moderately successful NFL quarterback, the fact that he, he got uh, <laughs> the fact that he got Paxton Lynch to somehow I don't know how the hell he did it, but get Paxton Lynch to be a first round draft pick. Um, now he's got a group of guys that, let's be honest, outside of Gerard Evans, he hasn't had that much success. And Gerard Evans was a guy that was just a man on a mission, I think. And he he really had this kind of swagger about him that none of the Tech quarterbacks have had since, since Gerard left. So Fuente and Brad have to take some, some of the heat here for the fact that their guy that they recruited in the first year, Hendon Hooker, has not developed to the point where he's a fit for this offense – and as big a, as big of a supporter and a guy who's trusted Justin Fuente, I think he has to admit that and realize that that's on him, partially at least. Yeah, and I I, I think that part of the the argument that ha, has surrounded this Ryan Willow situation is that the counterpoint to oh well Ryan Willis just isn't cutting it, always at least for this season been. for this season been that the guys below him simply aren't ready. The argument has been, well, don't you trust the coaching staff that when Ryan Willis is going out there and throwing three interceptions, when the team, when the offense just isn't moving, but they have no faith in the backups. Yeah. That some of that does fall on them. And I know there's whispers about Burmeister and how, he'll be the truth next year or something like that. And they don't necessarily have to rely on hooker or they don't have to rely on Patterson right away. But I mean, at a certain point that kind of plays into this do or die nature of the game. And you look at this Virginia tech game here against Duke. And I mean, obviously hindsight is 2020, but I can't think of a game in at least the immediate recent history, right? Cause obviously the ship sank last year and it sank at a level that, or at a pace, I should say, that no one could have possibly anticipated. Things got real bad. And other than maybe UVA, because that was a big one, I can't think of a game where there's been more pressure on Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech to get it done than this Friday night at home against a Duke Blue Devils team that everyone was chalking in as a win in the immediate post-Daniel Jones rebuild era of Duke football, who you already expect to beat. And that's part of it. And it'll show a lot about this coaching staff who, when things went south last year, the excuse is youth. And it was an excuse that goes pretty far. The excuse is still youth. But people are – the wave of people – getting fed up and getting impatient with this regime at Virginia tech for better or worse is increasing rapidly. And a loss here could spell, we're not going to say doom. He's not going to lose his job, but if he wants to silence the critics, at least for a minute, 
you know, no one's going to say, oh, you beat Duke, you're vindicated. But the people waiting in the wings with the Fire Puente flag will be standing right there. And a loss to Duke will make them feel real smart. So if you're Justin Fuente, you got to figure out a way to get it done. That's exactly why I said this is a must-win game. Uh, I mean, the Tech has got to win this game straight up. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, Virginia Tech, for number one, they need to win this game because if they go 0-2 in the conference, there's apps, there's maybe a one in, in one thousandth chance that they somehow come back and win the Coastal Division as bad as the division is. Starting 0-2 is almost a death knell for your chances. So if you if you go 0-2, you can kiss the Coastal goodbye. Um, also, if they go 0-2 in conference play and they really play four bad games to start the season, Justin Fuente is probably going to lose a considerable amount of the fan base, and he's going to lose a considerable amount of the people that are still trusting and believing in him. Uh, and I think that those people would have a, a serious argument. I mean, we saw what happened last year. Uh, the, the recruiting misses are actually not talked about enough. The fact that Virginia Tech, even though they have hit on some of their big targets, they've also missed out on a ton of guys, and it goes all the way back to the 2017 class. So Justin Fuente has to win this game. It's not because if he loses, he gets fired, but it's because if he loses, it's another bullet in the, in the, in the, mat, in the chamber for guys that are calling for his job already. It's another bullet in the chamber for these guys that are saying he can't get it done. And uh, once you get to that point where a, a, a large portion of the fan base is ready to get rid of you, very rarely do you come back from that. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head in which a coach has gone from that situation. Maybe maybe Gus Malzahn at Auburn. That's because Auburn fans are absolutely nuts. But anything outside of that, I, I haven't seen a situation where you make it back from that. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that this is the biggest game of Justin Fuente's tenure so far. I think it's indisputable. I don't know if I would go there. Uh, I don't is... know if I would go there. I, I, I think that the the game against Clemson in the, in the ACC championship game was such a big opportunity, and I don't think it necessarily was an indictment of him as being just good but not great. But it was such an opportunity for Justin Fuente to get that signature win uh, against the team yeah. that nobody had thought they had any business of competing with. So I don't know if I'd go quite the biggest game of his tenure, Mike. Let's let's not go biggest. Let me rephrase and say most important because as important as that Clemson game was, we never thought that this Virginia Tech this Virginia yeah. Tech team would would go to this level. So what I'll say real quick is that and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, last year was absolutely as bad as it could have gotten with the team that they had, the roster that they had. And that's doing Justin Fuente and his coaching staff no favors heading into this year. Now, some of that is self-inflicted. Other, you know, it has to do with injuries as well, unrealistic expectations, you know, heading into last year with what they lost on the defensive side of the football. And I think winning that opener against Florida State obviously set expectations high, even though they were losing a lot on both sides of the football last year. What we saw throughout the rest of the year, albeit at the floor and the absolute floor with what that roster was at the outset, um, you know, I, I think the team throughout the rest of the year was closer to what they should have been rather than what we saw against Florida State. And Florida State ended up not being all that good. And I think that really set the Hokies up and Justin Fuente and his staff in particular up to 
criticism and harsh criticism heading into the year that they had to turn things around quickly. And, you know, we've mentioned that it's a young team, but eventually, you know, these guys need to start playing at a higher level. I think they're starting to do that on the defensive side of the football. You know, you've seen Rayshard Ashby, you've seen Shamari Connor, you know, you've seen Caleb Farley play better. There are guys who are young, who had a lot of promise and a lot of talent playing a lot better this year than we expected. The issue is offensively, the Hokies just haven't been consistent enough at any facet, right? Offensive line's been bad, running game hasn't been very good, and the quarterback play's been suspect. So until they fit the scheme to the players that they have on the roster, it's really going to be tough sledding there for Virginia Tech. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Mike, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I'm still in the camp that I really do think that Justin Fuente, even as bad as things have been, I still think he can get this thing going. But I'll tell you what, if Tech goes out there and and goes 0-2 in the conference and and looks bad again at home and against the Duke team that, let's be honest, they're not very good, uh, I, I don't know how much trust I would have left in, in a guy like Justin Fuente. As, as, as much as I like the guy personally, um, and, and I feel like he's done a fantastic job in, in, for a lot of his tenure, I just don't know how much more I would believe in him if they go out on Friday night and lay an egg. The one thing I see with this game is that that's 0-2 in the conference. It'll be an extremely uphill battle to right that ship. And Tech expects to beat Duke at home on a Friday night on ESPN. And anything else would be an embarrassment that would be hard to bounce back from. And if this game ends up in a loss, we are going to be having a very serious conversation at this time next week. Not to get too grim, we'll go into our ACC picks. All right, we got a couple of layup games in the ACC. Syracuse hosts Holy Cross. Holy Cross, one and two. Tickets as low as $3 at the Carrier Dome. We're all going to write in Syracuse. There's no line that I can find. Q's big. Is that even a, a game that would yeah, have a Mike, line? Mike, Mike, I'm sure Mike could find us a line. Yeah, I got, Mike, I got Mike you a line. Mike you find us a line. You, oh, I can find you a line. I have the line. You actually. absolutely degen. Syracuse is a 38.5-point oh. favorite against oh, Holy Cross. Thanks for taking Holy Cross. Yeah, I actually think I would take Holy Cross to, to with the points. Uh I'm not actually going to bet on that game because I'm not a freaking degenerate like Mike, but uh, no, I'm not I'm not even sniffing that game. Hey, you're only a degenerate if you don't win your bets. So I, oh, I'm doing well Lord. so far, Ricky. Man, you need to go to rehab, bro. You have some serious Oh, my God. Oh, geez. Please, Andrew, get, get us out of here. This is, this, is bad. this is bad territory. Uh, Syracuse wins. With, with the spread we're talking about? With the spread. Yeah, with the spread. All right, we're going to need another Mike Degenerate spread because our next game is Pitt hosts 3-1 and Delaware on ACC Network Extra. Mike, what's the line? Uh, Pittsburgh is a 28-point favorite against Delaware. All right, Delaware. I will take Pitt, Mike. Oh. I'm taking Delaware. Um, I'm, t- I'm taking Delaware because, you know, Pitt wins a big game against UCF last week. I think this is a letdown 
spot for them. I'm going to take Delaware to cover. I think Pitt wins comfortably, but Delaware covers. Ricky. Who the hell thinks Pitt's going to beat them by 28 and a half? Holy. No, no, no. Not a, not a chance. Delaware, Delaware with All the All right. We're, it's big FCS country today. Uh, <laughs> North Carolina hosts a pretty good team this week in Chapel Hill. So good that they'll be in on ABT at 3.30. It's Clemson, believe it or not. Clemson, a 20 and 26 and a half point favorite on the road. What do you guys think? You think Clemson can cover as they tend to? I do. Clemson minus anything until Ricky? further notice. Yeah, Clemson's going to make Sam Howe not have a very good day. Um, Clemson's not even running on all cylinders, and I'm going to take Clemson with the points. And that will be three of us taking Clemson. This one will be fun, though. Same time, 3.30 Eastern time on Saturday on a competing network television. It's NBC, and if you know NBC on a Saturday, they're playing Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is taking on the University of Virginia, number 18 in the land, UVA. Notre Dame, a 12-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Do you guys think that Notre Dame can cover? Do you guys think that Notre Dame can win against Bronco Mendenhall, Bryce Perkins, and the Hoos? Virginia's well-coached, but Notre Dame's got too many athletes all over the field. Um, Virginia's a very flawed football team right now. They're winning because the rest of the division's really bad, and they've just been the most consistent, and they're not making – despite some of these Bryce Perkins turnovers that look a little bit fishy, they're not making a ton of mistakes as a team, and they're figuring out ways to methodically win football games. You have to figure it out quickly against Notre Dame. There's nothing methodical about them. They'll punch you right in the mouth with the athletes that they have. I like Notre Dame to win and cover here pretty comfortably. Ricky, your thoughts on the Irish this Saturday? Um, I, I want to quickly, I want to counter that. I don't think Virginia is all that well coached They're I feel like it's just, I haven't looked, seen the stats. Wow. Listen, the penalty stats that they've had for the first few games of the year, they're one of the most penalized teams in the country. I just looked at it. They're not even in the top 50 in terms of fewest penalty yards per game. So take that Mike. I've got some research, but now Notre Dame is going to win this game and they're going to cover the spread. UVA has been exposed here the last couple of weeks. Uh, but Bryce Perkins is not going to have a very good day. I've seen some rumors that Bryce is not actually 100% and that he's kind of kind of lagging around there. So uh, a, a sub 100% Bryce Perkins-led UVA team has zero chance of beating the Irish uh, in South Bend. And I uh, I agree with Ricky. Uh, I, I've said throughout this the course of this podcast and the radio and whenever people for some reason give me the opportunity to state my opinion on these matters that i would believe in uva until proven otherwise well between the close one against florida state at home and the close one at odu at home it's hard not to take virginia tech-esque this team has flaws messages away from that and i given the talent gap have a hard time believing that they're going to be able to go into South Bend against a Notre Dame team that still has a chance at something, whatever that may be, and and have a good one. So echoing what Ricky said with the rumors about Bryce Perkins, which I have also heard, I will take the Irish to cover at home. Moving forward, and by the way, that's also partially a fan pick. <laughs> Moving forward, though, Georgia Tech, who's awful 
will take on Temple, who may be awful, but they're two and one and they beat Maryland. Temple is at home the second time that they've hosted a Power Five team this year. Nine point favorites. Georgia Tech obviously has proven themselves to be incompetent. My general sense, I'll go first on this one. I'll take Temple to cover, despite Temple's offense being lackluster at best in their victory over uh, Maryland and Josh Jackson and the whole shebang there. Do you, either of you disagree? Temple looked really bad last week against Buffalo, and Buffalo's historically been a pretty good MAC team. They're not very good this year, though, and Temple just didn't play well last weekend. Um, everything – the stats, everything you've seen from Temple and Georgia Tech tell you that you should be taking Temple in this football game. But look, Jeff Collins used to coach at Temple. I think the Georgia Tech players get up for it. I think they cover, and I have no good reason why, but I'm just it's just a gut feeling. I think Georgia Tech covers nine and a half here. I I don't know. Don't bet this game. Don't bet it. Temple wins outright. Yeah, don't Georgia watch Tech this game, first of all. Boring as all hell. Uh, I missed. I actually missed the Temple losing to Buffalo part, but at the same time, Georgia Tech lost to the Citadel, so I'll hold my pick. Ricky, what are your thoughts? Uh, Temple, I agree with Mikey. Uh, Temple will win this game. Georgia Tech will cover. There's something about Jeff Collins that makes me feel like he's actually going to work there. Um, I, I'm just kind of a hunch, but no, they're, they're going to lose, but they'll cover the spread. Yeah, long-term experiment. Uh, the, the loser to the triple option Citadel team is uh, that's tough because that's like the one thing you should be prepared for, in my opinion. If you're the Georgia Tech, whatever is left of that veteran group. Ooh, here's a fun one. Mike's favorite team, Wake Forest, against a three and one Boston College team in Chestnut Hill. I don't think any of us have that much faith in Boston College, and we know Mike has a ton of faith in Wake Forest. Wake is a seven point favorite on the road at Alumni Stadium. Mike, are you with your boys here? Yeah, Wake wins. I have no idea if they're going to cover or not. I guess I'll say they're, they'll cover. Um, I mean, BC's defense has been really bad. Their offense hasn't been great. A Wake Forest offense is going to be the best unit on the field in this game. I'm just I'm going to take Wake and roll with it against the spread. I, I think they'll cover, I guess. But I'm very confident Wake will win. I'm not as confident they'll cover the spread. That's still a lot of points on the road. Ricky, your thoughts? Yeah, I know Boston College ain't all that great, but uh, I don't think that they're gonna they're gonna get blown out at home by Wake. Um, Wake will probably win this game, uh, but this game is gonna be relatively close. So I'll take uh, I'll take the Eagles with the points. Um, I, I just bro, I mean, I I can't get over the whole got blown out by Kansas thing, and Jamie Newman seems to be a pretty dynamic quarterback. I'll chalk him up to be the second best quarterback in the ACC with Ryan Willis given what he has to work with. I mean, who knows whether he's gotten worse or not, but he's played worse. And Bryce Perkins, despite his versatility, throwing a lot of picks and making a lot of ill-fated decisions. Jamie Newman is the second-best quarterback in this conference, and I'll take that over Boston College. They will cover and win. could be a tough one for the Eagles, which is in the transitive property world that I pretend to ignore, which I always bring up. It's not spelled great news for Virginia. Yeah, you don't really ignore really the transit up property, bro. You bring the, you bring that you bring okay, that well, stuff all the time. It's, true. <laughs> it's hard to ignore. It's early. It's early. We we don't have that. No, it's easy to ignore. Tell all these fools that they don't know what they're talking about. Twitter's a Twitter waste is a wasteland. You're better than that, Andrew. They You're lost better. to Kansas by like twenty. 
I know, but the, the transitive property oh, means I know. nothing. Nothing, I know. nothing. Boston College isn't as bad as losing to Kansas seems, but I maybe Kansas ain't all that bad. Rephrase everything. I am drinking Mike's freaking Kool Aid because he hasn't been wrong yet. <laughs> he hasn't been wrong. Hell Wake yeah. Forest hasn't. I mean, they almost lost to Utah State. Oh, is a transitive property. Utah State's all right. <laughs> all right. Moving oh, on. Mike, Moving on to a team that I would never bring the transitive property to because they're just a freaking loose cannon. The Florida State Seminoles at home. Dope Campbell Stadium against NC State. Whatever. I don't know anything about NC State. So, whatever about them. Florida State, a five-point favorite at home. Mike, can the Noles cover and get a winning record and maybe take some heat off the lemonade stand because I don't know if that lemonade stand can make enough money to pay that buyout. Yeah, I like Florida State to win and cover here. NC State's defense really hasn't been all that good. They've turned into uninspiring performances against West Virginia and then this past weekend against Ball State, the defense didn't look all that good. Florida State's offense, look, even if it runs completely through Cam Akers, I think that'll be fine in this game. I think they'll he'll have more than enough in the tank to get this thing done. Plus, James Blackman, in my opinion, I know he left due to injury and Alex Hornibrook came in. Both quarterbacks played very well on Saturday. It looks like James Blackman is practicing this week with a brace on that knee that he injured uh, in the game uh, last weekend. But Look, Florida State is a team right now that offensively is playing pretty good football. It's the defensive side that's been hit or miss, and I think this is a get-right game for the defense because I don't really have a ton of trust in NC State right now. So give me Florida State to win and cover. I think NC State keeps it inside of 10, so I do think it'll be competitive, but uh, five points is a little bit too low for me. I think Florida State wins and covers here at home. Ricky, your thoughts on the Knowles here? Florida State isn't going to have a get-right game for the rest of the season. Dave Dorn is a better coach than Willie Taggart. Um, I think there's an outside chance NC State wins this game. I'm definitely going to take NC State with the points. I'll take the talent. I'll take the talent on this one. Cam Akers, man, despite everything, it's that thought that a guy in Cam Akers who is fourth in the nation in rushing yards so far, six touchdowns on the year on top of that 499 yards on the ground, this NC State team just doesn't inspire confidence in me whatsoever. Mike talks about the Ball State game. Obviously, they got blown out by West Virginia. It's not truly transitive property on that at that point. That's just evidence. And uh, you look at the teams that Florida State's lost to, a close UVA loss, a close Boise State loss. I'm not giving up faith on those teams. So I'll take Willie Taggart with the back against the wall to try to save his job, that which might not be possible. But, I mean, if they can't win this one, and I'll say, I'll say they'll cover at home. But this one could really spell trouble if you go to two and three here. All right. Last but certainly not least, the game where we get to pick twice. We get to pick twice. If you didn't know, Virginia Tech, the Hokies, will be hosting on ESPN on Friday night, 7 o'clock, Lane Stadium, the two and one Duke Blue Devils. Tech, a three-point favorite at home. Do they cover? Mike goes first. Uh, no, they don't cover, and I don't think they win either. I'm taking Duke outright here, and the reason why is because Duke has been more consistent on both sides of the football through three games than Virginia Tech has. The offensive line hasn't been very good for the Hokies. I do think the one area that will make or break this game, like I've mentioned, is in the passing game. 
if the Hokies are able to untap that passing offense and limit the mistakes, I do think they can win this game by 7 to 10 points. I'll put that out there now. With that being said, I don't have a lot of trust in the offensive line. And more importantly, something I haven't brought up, I know you guys have brought this up earlier in the podcast, Quentin Harris is really good. And Bud Foster historically has struggled against mobile quarterbacks. He's had a really hard time with them in the last few years, especially Quentin Harris is a guy that can hurt you with his arm and with his legs. And I think that he might make enough plays in this football game to steal it for Duke. I'm taking the Blue Devils outright just because I've seen more out of them. And I think they're better coached right now. I think they're just the more consistent football team. I think Duke wins. And I think the sky might be falling in Blacksburg next week, guys, when we hit record. Ricky? Uh, even though I've probably been labeled as the eternal pessimist on this podcast, I'm taking Virginia Tech to cover. Uh, Duke's supposed strength is their defensive line, and yet they have nine sacks through three games, which is not even in the top 45 in the country. So I'm not sure how much fear Tech fans should actually have about that defensive line. I think it's more fear about their own offensive line getting right. Yep. Um, if I'm going to be consistent with, with believing in Justin Fuente, I've got to pick them to win this game. So – I'm going to take Justin Fuente to finally get his stuff together because uh, this is a BG podcast and we welcome families. Um, I'm going to go with Tech to win this game. Um, and Mikey, if you're right, if Tech loses this game, uh, we may have to have an emergency pod here soon, hearkening back to my boys over at the Redskins Talk podcast because um, somebody might be losing their job. Well, Ricky, no one, unfortunately, due to the fact that just like my personal self, this football program is very poor, so they can't afford. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I, I wasn't. I wasn't just assuming it would be Fuente. There's a chance it could be someone else, but but okay, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Meant. But that was funny. I mean, self self degradation is what the people like. And Miller Lite Boys get me yes. through. Uh, get me through my dates, but this has Amen, been a tough sir. one to grapple with, and and to give people on the pod some backstory. My father is a Duke alum. He will be visiting for the game. He will be openly rooting for Duke with me sitting right next to him. This is one that, other than all the reasons that we have previously stated, I do not want to lose. Quentin Harris, statistically, you look at QBR, you look at the yards, you look at the rushing yards, you look at the touchdown to interception ratio, he has been good so far. We know that David Cutcliffe knows how to coach quarterbacks. Quentin Harris has never really played a good game against a Power 5 team. There's not that much evidence to back it up other than the idea that this wide receiving core might just be that much better than what Duke has in their defensive back group. Maybe I think that the competitor that Ryan Willis is will pick it up. Maybe Fuente feels some sort of heat, and I think that this team is better than what they have shown so far. I will take Tech to cover and win. I might actually put money on Duke just so I feel a little bit better about the money I made in case we do lose. Edge, baby. Because you got you got to go. Oh, you know, oh, it's not, Mike, you're wrong. Not a bad strategy. Man. <laughs> Within about strategy, man, stick to your I principles, no, I have man. no principles. Come on. I have no principles. <laughs> I have no standards. Would I pay? Would I pay twenty bucks for Tech to not lose this 
terrifyingly bad loss if they do lose yes and if they do at least i'll have 20 extra dollars but uh for the purposes of the pod i will take tech to cover i will take tech to win and god willing it happens because like you said ricky emergency pod time and for the record you talk about that redskins talk podcast mitch tischler who last night when they recorded at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning whenever it was was talking about getting a bottle of bourbon he didn't pick up the phone for his daily or for his weekly espn blacksburg radio hit that he has never before missed but we won't miss next week i promise you that we will be back or we'll be here, and depending on how the game goes, we might be whether hungover, it, which would be fitting for the Whether the, the ship podcast. sinks, whether the ship is afloat, it won't be that much afloat no matter what happens, unfortunately, because the bigger tasks have yet to come. But you have been listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. You can follow Ricky at Ricky LeBlue on Twitter. You can follow Mike at Mike McDaniel, CFB. You can follow me at Andrew Alex Radio. That's Andrew Alex, A-L-I-X, to dispel the confusion. If you're coming to the game, and Mike, I'll, I guess I'll ask you now, will you be at the pregame show on Friday? I will not. I'm going to a wedding in Indianapolis, unfortunately. Oh, Mike spends all of his time in the Midwest. Well, you, you find me. I'll be live from Hokie House at doing a pregame show for the game from 3 to 6 p.m. I am the one with the red hair and the annoying voice. Feel free to say hi. If you like this podcast, thank you. And don't forget to tell your friends, your college roommate, the dude sitting in the cubicle next to you, whoever it may be that you think might buy into whatever this is. Please do it and leave a review. Rate us on iTunes. Tech will take on Duke. It'll be a big game. And we'll be back to review all of it for you. Until then, I am Andrew Alex. And God willing, go Hokies. 